I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. And welcome to the show. My name is Dan and I'm guest hosting. I'm one of the producers here at I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. And I'm guest hosting for Claudia today because we are talking with an author who is not at all near our studio. So, uh, Stephen Wallhandler, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Dan. So, Stephen is an author. Uh, I want I want listeners to know that this book is, exists. There's a link in the show notes, Protecting Yourself from Emotional Predators. Uh, and it's a, it's a how-to book on, on how to neutralize the users, abusers, and manipulators hidden among us. So, Stephen, let's start with that subtitle of hidden among us. Why are they so well hidden? Oh, that's, <laughs> they're so well hidden. That's one of their uh, principal weapons. It's a, I call it a weapon of stealth. Uh, they're hidden among us because if they weren't hidden, if they didn't hide themselves, we'd see. So what I mean by hide themselves, hide all of their abusive and manipulative behaviors and traits. Um, it, it's, it's pretty well understood that a, uh, a narcissist, let's say, and that's only one type of emotional predator. And a narcissist can, and, and a lot of these emotional predators can be some of the most charming, winning, witty, funny, engaging, wonderful people when you meet them. And uh, that's part of their MO, to get under, to fly under your radar. So, I mean, if, if they were not hidden, we'd see them for the abusive jerks that they are. Right. Oh, thank you. You're an abusive jerk. I don't need to be dealing with you anymore. I can move on, right? Yeah, I can move on. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, 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 a, that's a very important part of, of protecting yourself is learning to see behind the charming and winning facade that they will present. And by the way, one other thing, that facade that they will present will be tailored to your particular emotional vulnerabilities. They're going to deliver to you when they meet you the messages that you long to hear, and and uh, and, this, and they're going to deliver messages and a, present a facade that's very appealing to you, so that they can get you in their clutches. Hmm. So we'll unpack that and also how we can spot them. But let's first let's go back to the be, to the beginning after after that first question there. Um, let's go back to the beginning. Let's define what an emotional predator is. We call them abusers and users and manipulators. Obviously, on this show, we talk a lot about domestic violence and sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. But what I find interesting is that it's not just like, like how you define it. So go ahead and, and what is an emotional predator? Um, an emotional predator is someone who exploits other people by tuning into and preying upon 
by manipulating the emotions of their target. That's why they're emotional predators. They prey on your emotions. I mean, they've been labeled lots of things. I talked about this in the beginning of the book. Uh, I'll read you a list of the, some of the things that other, the other labels that these people have been given. Yeah. They've been called character disturbed, personality disordered, which includes, you know, things like narcissists, sociopaths, uh, borderline personality, hysterical personality disorders, uh, psychopaths. Uh, some people call them narcissistic sociopaths or sociopathic narcissists. Mm. Uh, I've heard them called malignant personalities, malignant narcissists, or toxic personalities, or uh, let's say covert, aggressive, manipulators. These are all terms I, I say, you know, you could also call them just manipulators or jerks uh, or abusers. And, and how do you begin to spot those characteristics? It, like, is there a way to avoid this? I know when we talked earlier, you mentioned people say, well, I wish I'd have read this book before I met so-and-so. Mm-hmm. How can we well, use this? Well, when you ask the question, how do we spot them? Yeah. That's, that's the first step of what I outlined in the book of five steps of protecting yourself. The first step to protecting yourself is you have to see these people for what they really are. You have to see them behind their charming and seductive facades. And uh, I mean, the, the book, I, so that's, uh, that's step one. Mm-hmm. And that's it in uh, chapter three. But I mean, the, when you look for common traits and common attitudes, and I can, if it, it'd be helpful, I can list out some of the common traits right now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause okay. what I, what I, okay. what I find interesting is in, in that chapter, you talk about a, a relentless drive to dominate control and win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we yes. talk so much about domestic violence as a, is, is not, they're not out of control. They're very much in control. They want to mm-hmm. dominate. They want to mm-hmm. control you. They want to exert mm-hmm. their power. So that mm-hmm. alone is an emotional predator. So yes. what other, what other characteristic yes. traits do you, Yes. Uh, well, you could the, again a relentless a number of things. Um, these are traits that you won't. You have to look carefully uh, to see them. Sometimes they have a they relentlessly try to manage their public image. They're very seductive, as I've mentioned. And I say, if someone seems to be too good to be true, they probably are. Mm. Uh, they manage their image relentlessly. They avoid the other traits. I'll just list them off here. They, they will avoid giving a direct answer to a direct question. They'll offer excuses, justifications instead of changing. Um, they, as you, you touched on, they need to control and you have it their way. And one of the things I tell people to look for is if you feel like you're sort of on a one way street with someone, get off that road. Mm. You know, these are people that uh, it's my way or the highway. Um, or another way people talk about this is you're with me or you're against me. Um, They will provoke others into emotional reactions. They will claim to be the victim. And often they claim to be the victim of the person they are targeting. Um, They will fake sincerity and make emotional displays to uh, charm or intimidate or seduce. They'll also pretend to be ignorant or they'll pretend to be innocent. They'll do they'll do uh, do things and and uh, that have bad consequences for others. And and then if you you call them on it, they'll they'll give you this what I, me I didn't I didn't know that or I didn't do that. 
they will trap others in what I call no-win binds. And this is something to, to be alert for. A no-win bind is you're damned if you do, but you're damned if you don't. Mm. And uh, sometimes when you start to be, get involved with someone like this, these are the kinds of experiences you have. You sort of feel like, well, wait a minute, I can't win here. Um, they'll gaslight and isolate their targets, which is over time, they'll start, you start you're getting into a relationship with someone like this, and you find that you're getting cut off from contact with your friends and family. And one of the ways they'll, I notice they'll do this is, you start noticing that before you, before you go, you wanna go out and see your friends, and before you go see your friends, if they go with you, They'll be grumpy. They'll they'll create a, a problem with 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 your friends, um, or they might they might say, "Oh, they don't want to go see your friends." But then they'll pick a fight with you either before you go out, or maybe when you come back. So they'll sort of punish you for going to see your friends. Uh, things like this. They'll also there. Uh, some of them can be very. Uh, what do we call them? Hysterical. They um, sort of drama queens or drama mm. kings. These people come in both genders, all shapes and sizes, all mm. sexual preferences, all of the above. Uh, but they, they'll create havoc or confusion or chaos out of something that's very simple. You find yourself going, why is this taking 10, 10 communications? This is just a yes, no, what's the big deal here? Mm -hmm. And you think, and then they'll blame you, you must be something wrong with you that you know that you you're upset by what they're doing they'll also they can do things like i've, I've noticed uh they'll disrupt natural rhythms i had a client who used to talk to me about uh his wife who would like he worked long long hours needed needed sleep and she would wake him up in the middle of the night and almost like interrogating him like shine up turn on a light and then start peppering him with questions when he needed to sleep disrupting his rhythms of sleep mm. um They'll be hypocritical, so they'll ignore, ignore rules when that serves them. And uh, they're going to expect you to follow the rules when, when that serves them. Basically, these people will say and do anything to get what they want. And uh, then they'll reverse themselves later. So they're very hypocritical. They can also be know-it-all, very intolerant of different views. Uh, so those are some of the traits that, I, that I, I've identified. They also, you can look for, you can spot them by looking at certain attitudes that they have. They can be arrogant, entitled, self-righteous, condescending. And by the way, when you first meet somebody like this, it comes off as self-confident. Wow, mm. they're so confident. And then you have to kind of look carefully to go, well, that's not really confidence, that's arrogance. Mm. Um, they can be impatient, intolerant, uh, what's it, irritable, especially if you call them on... Uh, on their bad behavior or or they're not getting what they want. They're sort of like a spoiled toddler complaining, you know, having a tantrum. Mm. They're not getting what they want. Um, they can also, uh, an attitude, they can play for sympathy by being excessively meek or humble or, or, or pretending to be bewildered or, or martyred. Either extreme, either being angry and dismissive and impatient or or, or playing for sympathy and playing the martyr, either extreme is a little suspicious or very suspicious to me. So a lot of extremes, yeah. like yes. like some of the stuff you could you yeah. can be self confident and not be an emotional predator. You can be humble yes. and not be an emotional predator. But it's when it swings to an extreme is when you need to be cautious, huh? Yes, absolutely. And you don't see a balance. And you know, mm. um, yes. And uh, there's other things that you can look for. There's certain professions that, well, again, being an emotional predator is all about 
seek, relentlessly seeking to dominate and control other people, to have the experience. These people crave relentlessly the experience of winning, dominating. And again, all in my experience, when we talk about abuse, whether it's psychological abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, that's all about power. It's mm. all about an exercise of power. And this is what emotional predators crave relentlessly. They must have this experience over and over that, they, that they're dominating and manipulating others. And uh, there are certain professions that uh, attract people like that. And that doesn't mean everyone in those professions are, are like this. But, but I'm, uh, you know, I sort of look for certain professions that, that provide access to emotionally vulnerable and powerless people. And so the obvious professions are, I'll just tick them off here, law. All, and then again, it doesn't mean everybody in these professions is an emotional predator. Sure, but sure. The education profession. There's some educators that that uh, that's a that's a powerless population. Your student population, mm -hmm. relatively powerless. Spiritual leaders, uh, medicine, less so nowadays. I think there years ago the the doctor as God model that was sort of, that seems to have broken down. But still, medicine, uh, corporate management, politics mental health the mental mm -hmm. health profession is full of people who are emotional predators and they they masquerade as, as being the great helpers of the world and they're going to help you but what they're really doing is preying on an emotionally vulnerable population so that they can they, they, they they're in that profession to feel powerful Mm. So um, I don't know if that's scary. <laughs> yeah, it is scary. Yeah, I talk in the book about how to screen people. Yeah, well, and and we'll let folks please go get the book and, and read that. It's it's great information um, on how to do that. I want to go back to something that you talked about earlier. You mentioned the word gaslighting. Oh, yeah. It's a it's a word that we hear a lot. It seems like it's come up a lot um, <clears throat> in common parlance in our in our current uh, society. And and I wanna I wanna for you know a layman's term what does gaslighting really mean and what does it look like how do you define oh, that's it a great question um first of all i strongly recommend everybody should just uh, download or stream or go see this movie uh gaslight with uh what's it uh bergman the, the actress ingrid bergman mm -hmm. and uh, uh anyway it, it's uh from the 30s i footnote that in the in the book um i think it was the late 30s this movie was made it's a classic study of an emotional predator and gaslighting comes, comes from that movie, which I think came from a play. But anyway, gaslighting is the process whereby you become involved with someone like this, an abusive person, and they uh, cut you off from any, any alternative reality. So that their reality that they have you, you're involved with them. They cut you off from your friends, from your family, from any, any, you know, if you have a therapist who's, who's got their act together and is sort of saying, you go to couples counseling, let's say, and the therapist sort of tries to call them the predator out on their bad behaviors. Well, you know, your emotional predator spouse or whoever it is, is going to start saying, Oh, we don't need to see them anymore. That, they don't know what they're talking about. They're going to cut you off from any alternative universe. So that the predator's universe becomes everything. And that's the only place you, you live. And again, they do it by, as I mentioned, they'll punish you for having contacts with 
your, you know, your, your family or your friends. They'll punish you again. Like you go out with your friends. If they, as a predator comes along, they'll pick a fight with one of your friends or they'll just be surly and grumpy and you, your friends aren't going to want to want to hang out with you and your predator spouse. <clears throat> or they pick a fight with you again before you go out, if you go out without them. And uh, eventually, slowly, it's a slow process, gaslighting. Yeah. yeah. And they try to make you think, in, once they cut you off from alternative reality, then they're going to convince you that you're the problem. If you think, if you see a problem in them and you lose track of reality, you get into this bizarre world, bizarro world of their world. I don't know if that, uh, that yeah. gives you a sense of, of, of gaslighting. It's, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's in, isolate. It's a form of isolating someone from alternative realities. And then manipulating their, like you said, alternative reality. Mm-hmm. Isn't it also a part of manipulating reality by giving, you know, it, well, I didn't say that when clearly they did. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, absolutely. That kind of that's thing. Right. That's right. That's, that's part of it. And part of, uh, yes, that's the other aspect of it, which is, um, I didn't say that. They could convince you that you're, uh, perceptions of, of them and of reality are wrong. Yeah. And it's very, uh, it's, it's very devastating when it's done. I do recommend that movie. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's, it's a brilliant case study. Hmm. Of exactly. And, and it, it shows me that these kinds of people have been around for a long time. Yes, they have. <laughs> yes, they have. Um, yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry. No, this is, um, this is great. Stephen. Um, so, in, in, in one of your chapters, you talk about how to, how to know your emotional, emotionally vulnerable areas better than your predator does. Yes. yes. Why is it so important to know where you're vulnerable when dealing with an emotional predator? Well, the way emotional predators operate, first, they, they have, you can't see them for what they are. They, they, they remain hidden. They, they operate by stealth. But the, what they do is they know your they prey on your emotions. And by that, I mean, you, you can manipulate people through their emotions. I don't know that you, most people are not, you can't manipulate most people by, uh, through ideas and concepts. We can have an intellectual conversation about a lot of different ideas. It's hard to move people that way or control them. But once you know what someone's, emo- what their emotions, where, uh, to put it another way, what I talk about is their unexamined core beliefs, core values that generate their emotional responses. So if, if someone knows your core values and knows that, you know, you, you value being, uh, I don't know, being seen as a giving person. Uh, then they can manipulate you that way. They know that um, your 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 core beliefs, your core values, generate certain emotions, and they know that they can uh, appeal to those things uh, and manipulate you that way. Uh, I'm not sure that really. I mean, so so what happens is we all have unexamined things about ourselves, core beliefs that we're not quite. They're unexamined. We're not aware of them. When you're dating an emotional predator or getting to know them, they are. you think, you believe, oh, we're getting to know each other. We're creating intimacy. So I need to share what's deep, near and dear to my heart, what's important to me in life, what I value, 
And that's how we create intimacy. And you think that's what's a two-way. What's actually happening is the emotional predator is busy mining you for information about the things that are emotionally important to you. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so they can use them. They, those become levers that they manipulate you. So, um, uh, so starting off with knowing <laughs> yourself more is a great way to begin to protect yourself against emotional predators out in the world. Yes. yes. Um, Self-discovery. Let me see. I can give, yes. I mean, knowing yourself is the core of all defenses. Hmm. And, and you have to know yourself better than they know you. Um, and there's a, there's a corollary to that later on, which is it's important to know them better than they know them. <laughs> yeah, right. That's is all about, this is about power, about controlling information. Uh, you know, knowledge is power and, and controlling information, knowing the information about yourself and them, and then controlling what you, what you expose. But uh, I'm just trying to give you, think of a, a nice good example of, you know, the kind of blind spots. We all have blind spots. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear one. Well, one of, the, one of the easy examples, it's a little pat, is that if you believe, and a lot of good, decent people do, they believe that in relationship, if I want to be a good person in relationship or a good partner in a relationship, if I want to do that, I must be open and honest about what I'm feeling. In fact, much of couples counseling and, and, and relationship therapy, you get in many, many how to, how to do, uh, how to be in a good relationship. A lot of the, the advice you get is, well, you have to be open and honest with your feelings. Well, if you do that with an emotional predator, it's disaster. It's disaster. So if you have a core belief that, that to be a good partner in a relationship, I need to be open and honest with my feelings. That's a very dangerous core belief. So you have to know that you believe that, first of all. And then the second step is to be willing to be flexible and change that belief. Now, it doesn't mean you have to abandon it. <laughs> mm, oh, that's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah, yeah. It means that you have to be a little more savvy about the type of people there are in the world. Again, identifying and being honest about who are these people um, and what are they like. And so if I believe that being open and honest uh, is the way to have good relationships with my feelings. I, I, I would, I would offer to people, well, consider modifying that belief to say, well, that's a good belief when I know I'm dealing with somebody who is a decent, open, empathetic, kind, generous person like I am. But my, but I modify that belief to say that if I'm dealing with a manipulative, abusive person and that, goes back to how you got to make sure you identify these people. Mm -hmm. Then, then I, then I'm not going to be open and honest with my feelings. I'm going to be strategic about what I do and don't reveal. So uh, that's just one. And I, I run into this a lot. People say, no, but I don't, I, I need to be open. I need to be honest with them. I say, okay, but you know, <laughs> don't, you know, be under, understand where that can lead you. <laughs> Because we've just talked about how he is an abusive nightmare. Right. Mm. Well, and what's interesting is how you frame it as, as they, are, they are predators. And mm -hmm. if you think about it in the animal kingdom, if a predator, if a lion sees that you are wounded or sees a weakness, they're going to go after that. And so, yeah, I mean, that, like that makes sense. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly now, right. Now, why? So 
I don't even know if it's a why question or what it is, but I just want to unpack. I mean, I, I think I'm a pretty empathetic, caring person. And I'd like to think that I could talk to somebody who is maybe who I, who I presume is an emotional predator and say, gosh, maybe you've had a hard life and I just, I feel for you and we should talk more and we should, but why doesn't empathy and being just a decent person work? Oh boy. This is a very common, common question. Um, one of the things I say in the book is that applying the golden rule, you know, however you say it, you know, do unto other, treat other people the way you would like to be treated makes things way worse with, with an emotional predator. And um, hmm, why? Because the short answer is because an emotional predator, a manipulative, abusive person is not like you are, is not, is not the same as you. And that's a fun, talk about fundamental beliefs that, that lead us into, into trouble. A fundamental belief that, well, because I'm a decent, empathetic, kind, generous, you know, thoughtful person, sharing, that everybody is. A lot of people believe this. This is who I am, so it's another person. They're another human being. All human beings are going to be like I am. That's a fundamentally flawed uh, belief. It's just not true. So uh, to be more uh, explicit about it, uh, emotional predators are uh, one of the f defining characteristics of them is that they lack empathy. Now, empathy is a word that a lot of people use. It's, it very, it's commonly used now, but I define empathy. It helps me to understand empathy this way. Empathy is an automatic, congruent, emotional response to another person's emotional state. And all of those elements have to be in there. And empathy is something that, uh, I mean, there's theories about why people lack it, whether it's uh, nature or nurture. Personally, mm. I, I don't really care about that. I mean, I care about it. I'm interested in it. But that's for other people, better minds than mine to figure out. <laughs> I, just, I, I just think it's very important to note that there are people in the world who lack empathy. Now, um, when I say an automatic congruent emotional response to another person's emotional state, um, the example I give, I think I give it in the book, is um, if, if, if you're in a great mood and you, you're feeling great and you're just upbeat and you're just having a great day and you walk into a room to meet three friends and one of them has just, just a moment before you walked in, they've just gotten news that, I don't know, there's something dramatic. Their, their, their whole family was just, killed in a car crash and their emotional state in that room is going to be you know as low as you, you can get pretty much and i walk in feeling great if i walk in and my empathy is functioning i am with not a word will be said my emotional state will adjust it will con it, it will automatically be congruent or start to be congruent with the mood in the room with the other people's emotional state now, this is going to sound bizarre, but uh, I've, I've had experiences where uh, I've seen not quite as dramatic a circumstance, but in that kind of a circumstance, an emotional predator will walk into the room, and believe it or not, their emotional state might go up. They might be even elated or energized by this hmm. because they are very sensitive, and that's an important point sensitivity to other people's emotions is not the same 
as empathy. People confuse that. And an emotional, this is a very important point actually, emotional predators can be extremely sensitive. In fact, they operate by being very sensitive to your emotional states so that they can manipulate you. So that an emotional predator walks into a room where people have just had devastating news and they'll pick up on it. They'll, they'll be sensitive to it. But it doesn't, they don't have empathy. It doesn't automatically create a congruent, a similar emotional experience in them. They, they understand this, they, they experience it, and it, it's an opportunity for them to take advantage. Oh, yeah. they're feeling bad. Oh, I'll lean on my shoulder. And then it can, they can act out and perform all of the, it looks similar, but it's not. You have to be very subtle about, you know, tuning into what's really happening with somebody. Um, but they can be very masterful at taking advantage of a situation like that. Yeah. Uh, is that is that helpful about about yeah. empathy? Yeah, absolutely. What a okay. what a great distinction to know that it's they be like their lack of empathy doesn't mean they're unaware. They're very aware. Again, oh, just like fair. an abuser isn't out of control, they're very much in control mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. along the same lines. They're very aware. They use it though. Oh um, yes. Oh, so yes. it's not something like I just need to run away from these fools, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I love how in the book you quote Gandalf the Grey, run you fools. Um, oh, yes, yes. Like we need to disengage. <laughs> yeah. Is it really that easy? And when it's um, not, what do we do? Well, it's not that easy. It depends on how involved you are. How, how, how many, uh, what would be the word, uh, threads or tentacles that this person have in your life? So, you know, sometimes uh, you, know, you go, you can be, if, if you're aware of what these people are like and you're tuned into yourself, you've done a lot of, uh, of, uh, of learning about yourself and, and your blind spots and your, another way I talk about these core beliefs that, that can get us in trouble that we don't know we have, I call them, I list them out in section of the book, different kinds of, I call them self-victimizing beliefs. Um, and we can, we can talk about that in a minute if you want. But these are, um, but, um, sorry, the, the dog <laughs> is whining to be let out. That's fine. Um, but, uh, um, now I've lost my, tra- my train of thought, the dogs. We can disengage and run away. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So if, if you're starting to get, you can have a first date with somebody and you can leave the first, I mean, halfway through a first date, you can go, uh-uh, uh-uh, oh, whoa, 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 red flag, red alert. And the disengagement, and I talk about how to disengage. Uh, well, the, we're, we're talking about what I call the fourth of five steps of protecting yourself. The fourth step is, whenever possible, disengage. Now, the chapter, that chapter goes into a number of things about it. The most important is resist the temptation to tell them why you're disengaging. Oh, I see that you are this way and that way, and I see how selfish. I see how you tried to do this power trip on me. I s- no, 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 no. Simply just walk away. And there's that old, it's an old, old joke. There was even a, a Seinfeld episode in which George, uh, uh, the old, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> that, that yeah. old, no, 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 I just can't. You know, you don't even give an excuse. You don't even give a justification. You just simply aren't, aren't available. And, uh, it's very important not to, not to explain yourself, not to justify, not to ex- and explain and justify. You start 
revealing things about yourself. And then they try to come in a, a side door into your, into your emotional world. Okay. Uh, and again, telling them what you see in them is a massive mistake. And that's in general. So that's, you know, simply walk away is, is that's it. You just disengage, run. So you want to, you want to protect yourself. Why else is it such a mistake to point out to them what, what they're doing? Um, well, because when you point out to them what they're doing, one of the things you do is you're educating them about how to better conceal their true nature. This is an instinct that we all want to do over and over again, whether we're on, it's a one date or whether it's a 10 year marriage or 20 year marriage, you know, don't you see, don't you see that when you do X, don't you see how it's so hurtful to other people or it's so painful to me. And don't you see how you're being insensitive to the children? And don't you see that when you, it, this is a mistaken belief and it comes, uh, it, 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 it's a, sort of a stepchild of the, uh, the, the, the operative paradigm, a, a psychoanalytic paradigm in our culture, which is that insight helps people to be better people. Neurotic people like me and like most decent people that I know have some <laughs> kind of neurosis. Okay. You know, insight's very helpful, but that doesn't help at all. It makes things worse when you try to offer insight to a, a, a manipulative predator because what, what they do is they use that to better understand how they're being seen through. Don't you see you're acting like this and how hurtful that is to me because I see that you're da 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 da. All you're doing is telling them, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, a weak spot or something in my facade. I need to cover mm -hmm. that better. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've read a letter from a guy that I considered to be uh, off the chart psychopath, most charming, I've, I sat and said, I sat in my office. I thought he's just charming, wonderful, just so pleasant to be around. Um, and uh, I got some backstory, and I got a, a I saw a letter in which, uh, you know, basically he, he's quite, the spouse, um, innocently and ignorantly, had had left a book for him to read, something like you know, living with a narcissist or something, or, you know, one of these books, and he's reading the book. She didn't realize that she basically was instructing him on all the things he had to say. I'm, he'd been abusive over and over again. Oh my God, I've been so abusive. I still have to work on myself, blah, 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 blah. And this letter was years old, and I was coming into the picture going, well, none of that's changed at all. It was just, he just figured out, oh, I need to tell her the things that the book says in order to get her back. Mm -hmm. That's that cycle of abuse, you know. I'm going mm -hmm. to do the, the honeymoon. Oh, I'm all better. I'm changing. Anyway, that's a little bit of a digression, but that's about, you do not want to tell these people what you see in them as you disengage. Just disengage and make it as final as you can and as as rare of an engagement, if you have to connect as mm -hmm. kids or something else is keeping you in connection, just set your boundaries. Right. So the fifth step of protecting yourself that I outline is if you must stay engaged or you choose to stay engaged for whatever reasons, maybe you have children with this person. Maybe you're, um, you're at a job and this person is in a job where you can't really leave or you don't want to leave, then you make a choice to stay engaged. 
then you, then I tell people you must be strategic. You you must be strategic, and that's all about controlling information. Again, controlling information about them. Don't tell them what you see in them, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, you know I tell I say in the book, and I tell people often, it's important to don't don't react emotionally. Respond strategically. Mm, Respond strategically. And and then a lot goes into what's a strategic response. And the first part of that, don't react emotionally. One of the the things I I talk about there, and this is uh, in the, what is it, chapter seven, which is the the fifth step. If you, how, how to deal with these, protect yourself if you are going to be, continue to be engaged with them. Um, These people, you have to, you, you, you have to conceal your emotional states, Absolutely. even your positive emotional states. Because if you respond, they do something and, and, and you feel good and you're emotionally up and you let them know that, then they know that's a, oh, here's how I can, uh, they can manipulate you with positive emotions or negative, either way. Mm. Um, but one of the things these people will do is they will provoke emotional reactions out of you. And they operate this way. They provoke emotional reactions so that they can know where your emotions, where, where, what buttons to push. Yeah. Manipulate that way. So I say, I, I outline and I say to people often, there are three levels that I've identified uh, of being provoked. And I say, don't take the bait. Don't, take the bait and don't allow, allow yourself to be provoked. The first level is of being unprovoked is never, never ever show any emotional response. I, 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 I there's a, a, a comedian, uh, he's, I'm dating myself, but his name is Stephen Wright. And his, his delivery was uh, almost, I would call it comatose deadpan. His tone was, he would deliver these jokes and I, <laughs> I don't even have any of his jokes, but well, the other day I went to the store. The clerk opened the, you know, that's how we would talk. Yeah. And very funny. If you, I say, use that as a model for the type of tone and expression. The expression list, just, just the facts, no adjectives, no adverbs, no, no, no flourishes in your, in your, if it's written or spoken. So that's the first level of being unprovoked. You show, never show any emotion emotional response, good or positive or negative. The second level of being unprovoked is never make any decisions while you're, while you're emotionally triggered. And that often in our day and age, that means do not hit send. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you can draft these, you want to draft it. They send you these provocative emails because that's what they do. They're all about provoking responses. And so, you know, you get these emails or text messages and I say, write, write your response somewhere else. It, it, on, on a, in a word processor. Yep, notepad or something. Yep. And do it, get it out of your system, and, but don't show an emotional response. And the third level of being unprovoked, which is the holy grail, uh, and when you get there, let me know <laughs> how you did it, but it's, it's to truly be unprovoked. In other words, you sort of disin, disconnect. I've, I've had discussions with people who studied Buddhism about this, uh, but uh, it's hard to, I'll just say it this way. You disconnect, if you will, the buttons that they can push from your, the emotional reaction. So they're pushing that button, 
that emote, you know, they used to push your buttons all the time. They're pushing that same button and you're just, you know, in some kind of, I'm being a little flippant here, but you know, some sort of emo uh, uh, enlightened state. Yeah. You know, okay, okay, I see you doing it. I see you doing it. Okay, it doesn't bother me. I see what you're doing. I know who I am. I don't need to react to that. Um, yeah. So that's, that's move. very important. We, we have to move from fear or anger to apathy. Yeah, actually, fair. That, that's, yeah. Right. that's fair enough. Yeah, apathy, like, okay. You know, I, you, you could actually, yes, that would, that would be a good way to put it. I mean, you can care about what's happening. You, this is going back a few steps. You, you can't ever let them know what you care about. Mm. So Stephen, one of your self victimizing behaviors or, or myths or this kind of thing, right? Yes, yes. Values. Um, is, is that if I'm a, a victim of, a, of an emotional predator, I did something wrong. Yes. That's not necessarily um, the case though, huh? No, no, not at all. It's actually quite the opposite. This, uh, I believe this, this comes from one of the self-victimizing beliefs is a, what I call a meritocracy myth. And it's a belief that many of us have that good things happen to good people who work hard. And if you believe that, then the corollary, unspoken usually, is, well, if good things happen to good people who work hard, then bad things must happen to bad people who are lazy. So if you're in a relationship with an abusive person, the natural, we don't even realize we're doing this to ourselves, we naturally assume, well, I'm having this very bad experience with this horrible person. Must be, must reflect a, a problem in me. It's my fault. You blame yourself because you're being attacked by this abusive manipulator. And that is completely wrong. In fact, Abusive people, emotional predators target, they look for decent, kind, empathetic, generous, wonderful people. And those are the people that they target. And if you have been targeted by one of these people, it's a sign that you are probably an exceptionally decent, wonderful person. And uh, this also happens, uh, this happens to parents when, they, when they've been married and had children with uh, an emotional predator, a natural response is to beat themselves up and go, oh my God, I'm so, I didn't, why didn't I see what this person was really like? Well, the answer to that is because, hey, when I grew up, nobody taught me about this stuff, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, right. and these people operate by flying under your radar. That's what they do. But you, a parent will beat themselves up and say uh, to themselves, oh no, I should have it's my fault that I didn't see this coming, see what an idiot this person was. I was taken in by their charm and blah, blah, blah. And now I've doomed my children to, uh, you know, growing up with this horrible person as their parent. That's really a very self-defeating uh, uh, belief that it's completely untrue. It's completely untrue. Uh, and you haven't doomed your children to, if, that, if you find yourself in that situation, you haven't doomed your children at all. One way to look at it is your children grow up with the opportunity to learn firsthand what a selfish, narcissistic, and manipulative person is like. Oh, your kids can grow up and then they won't have to marry one because they'll already know what it's like. And that doesn't mean they can't have, you know, as good as possible a relationship with that parent. They just know, oh, when I deal with, you know, dad or mom, whoever it is, I know that, you know, 
I'll have a great time with them as long as dad or mom is pretty much getting things the way they want it. But if what I want and need comes in conflict with what mom or dad wants or needs, then I know that <laughs> what I want or need as their child is going to be, that's going to take second, second place. Mm -hmm. And a child that can grow up perfectly healthy and happy with this and be very well adjusted and actually better educated than I was when I grew up and then most of us were. Mm. Um, great, so. great points of hope there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Those are great points of hope on both of those accounts. Yeah. Great stuff, Stephen. This is fantastic. Um, we could, we could go for hours on this. This is such, I mean, this is your life work. It seems like there's, there's so much to uncover here. Um, but I want, I want listeners to know this book exists. It's called protecting yourself from emotional predators. Um, obviously bookstores online, wherever, uh, is there a website or anything they can go to too, Stephen? Yeah, there's a, there's a website. It's uh, let's see, it's www, which they all are now. <laughs> um, let's see, emotional predators, plural.com okay. and uh yeah i'll make sure i'll make sure that gets linked in the show notes uh yeah just great stuff what what is what is one piece of hope that you would want someone to walk away with from our conversation from this podcast mm. from the book what's a piece of advice or hope you can uh, give somebody you are not powerless you are not trapped. Um, you can learn about what's really going on in, the, in a destructive relationship. Um, and you can make changes to empower yourself. And I would also say a lot of people that I've worked with over the years that have pulled themselves out of abusive relationships one of the things that they've had to learn, and I, I say this to anyone listening and anyone reading this book, you are worthy of being treated well. And you, you, you do not deserve in any way, shape, or form to be abused and taken advantage of and mistreated. Um, and uh, it's a very beautiful thing as people emerge from these kinds of relationships and find that I don't need that. I am, I am, <laughs> I am worthy of being well treated. I love that. You are worthy of being treated well. It's so powerful, yeah. Stephen. Excellent. Well, emotionalpredators.com. Look for protecting yourself from emotional predators in bookstores. Stephen, thank you for bringing this educational and, uh, and hopeful content to our listeners. You know, you're very welcome. Thank you very much for the, the chance to share it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. 
Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.